Hey there, and welcome to the Punched and Played podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Sticky Fingers Rose. I'm joined by Jonathan the Screamer Baker. Ah! And Clint Sugar High Broadbent. Ooh! All right, how are you guys doing tonight? Fantastic. Amazing. All right, so this week we are going to be talking about putting together a themed board game night. But before we get to that, let's talk about what games we've been playing recently. Clint, what have you been playing? Well, I actually got a new board game order in. I kind of have, I kind of wait for it to build up and then I get a big old shipment. And uh, I actually got surprise shipped my games early. So uh, I was pretty excited. I've been waiting for these games to come over the last uh, three or four months. So uh, one of the games that, that came in was I got to play Camel Up again, which was really fun. I got to play with some friends uh, that were actually moving away. So we had kind of one last hurrah and played some lighter games. But one game that we got to the table was Concept. And um, I know that some people, have, there's been a little buzz about Concept. It's kind of a party game. But before you turn away, or you turn off your, your podcast, you walk away. It is actually really, really good. One thing I like about the board game community now is that we're starting to see things in a different, like with a different twist. And Concept is exactly that. It can be, it's a game that's, um, it's almost an experience game. It can be as long or short you, as you want, but it kind of builds off the basic premise of charades. And what you're trying to do is, is you have a word um, and you try, you have to try to convey what that word is depending on like with a bunch of these pictures. So there's just a board, a big old fat board of pictures. And what you're trying to do is you can you can try to break it down. You have these different markers, and you can like say like the first concept. You can put different markers down and say, um, if I'm trying to trying to explain Superman, I can put like there's like a picture of a of a boy, you know, or of, of a of a blue person that kind of they'd say no, it's a boy. And you could do like it's a movie, and then you could do like one like with an arrow pointing up in the air or whatever. And it's really fun we had a ton of fun going over it we there's like rules that like how you score the game but you can just kind of throw those out we kind of did a cooperative game and said hey we want to try to get because like the easy what we just did easy medium hard easies were one point mediums were two points hards were three and we just said okay well we're going to try to go to 15 points in two rounds you know going around and we finished we laughed about it. It was really fun. And then we just kept wanting to do it again and keep going. And it was just really, really fun. While sometimes you guys think, oh, I'm a, I'm a serious gamer. I don't like to have party games in my thing. This is definitely one that I would recommend. It's very, it's uh, quite inexpensive. And it has a really cool twist that will help people that aren't a part of the, the hobby. And it, it really is fun. The one concern I've had about with concept is just that it might be a little bit too difficult for non-gamers to get, no pun intended, the concept of uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. No, uh-huh. I, I think it, it works. I, these, like I said, the people that I played with, they're really non-gamers. They don't play a lot of serious, serious games. We played only a couple times. But I always kind of said, you have a good base when you say, it's like charades. I have a word. I'm trying to get you to guess it. And instead of like flailing my arms, I'm going to give you some pictures. Like I said, I it really it really connected 
with with this group and i'm excited i have a youth group i'm excited to to bring that out to them i'll bring it out next week that's great and again i think this game really benefits for you by being able to see it being played so i know will wheaton at tabletop he did a video of concept and i think it really shows a lot of how much fun the game really can be so i haven't got to play this one myself it's been one i've thought about because i I really enjoy those games where you have to use your creativity but i have so many of those games that just i wouldn't say flopped but they haven't really been able to be brought out that i've been a little hesitant to jump on board with concept yeah i have a game called funglish which kind of reminds me of this vaguely where you have a bunch of adjectives and categories and stuff and it seemed like a really neat idea and it just it didn't really go over very well with people I have Funglish. We enjoyed it the first couple times, and then after we played it a couple more times, we're like, hmm, I think I'm done with this. So I think that concept definitely has more staying power. So definitely looking forward to trying that one out. Yeah, I'm excited. Jonathan, how about you? Once again, I've been playing World for the Galaxy, but I won't bore you guys with that. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> played uh, Lords of Waterdeep with my wife. Really enjoyable. Uh, really love how fast that game can move to a player. We, we just burned right through it, and it was a lot of fun. It was relaxing. It was, it was a good time, but... We've also played uh, Sean Gut, Good Cop, Bad Cop, and you know it kind of falls in that same category of games like Bang and Bang the Dice Game, and you've got some hidden identities, and you're trying to take out the other side, basically. But your uh, one person in the game is assigned randomly as the agent, the leader of the good cops, and then you've got the uh, kingpin, who's the leader of the the crooked cops. The good cops have to take out the kingpin. The bad cops have to take out the agent before the game's over and you have three cards that are dealt to you and it depends on what you get if you get for example two honest cops and one crooked cop then you're obviously an honest cop if you get two crookeds and one honest and you're a crooked cop if you get the kingpin or the agent that's going to uh, automatically determine who you are and so you go through taking a turn investigating which lets you look at someone's one of their cards and then you just try to figure out who's on your side and who you're trying to eliminate you can also um Reveal one of your cards to um, pick up a gun and then point it at somebody, and then you have to wait till your turn comes around again to actually fire it if you choose to do that. You have uh, one equipment card that you start with that, that you start the game with that gives you some kind of a special ability. You can use it, and if you ever decide to get another equipment card after you've used your first one, you have to also reveal another one of your identity cards. So you kind of slowly work your way through figuring out who's on your side and try to eliminate the opposition. If a honest cop is shot once, they're out. If a crooked cop shot once, they're out. But it takes two shots to take out either the kingpin or the agent. It is a lot of fun. Uh, I like that little social deduction sort of thing because, I mean, in the early part of the game, it's all about investigating the other players and looking at one of their cards. And maybe you'll get really super-duper lucky and, oh, you're the agent on the first round. And that can be kind of neat. I have to say I'm, I haven't found this to be as much fun as I was thinking it would be. How does it rate, uh, let's take Bang the Dice game, how does it compare to that for you? Okay, I I think it's about the same, honestly, in terms of reaction that I've had from both gamers and non-gamers who have played it. I think I, I like the trying to figure, I mean, both the games have that little bit of a deduction of trying to figure out if you're like in Bang the Dice game, trying to figure out who's the deputy, who's the outlaw who's the renegade so i like that element i like this because you get to investigate and slowly piece together who each person is if you want to investigate them enough 
So I, I think they're for me I I think they're about on the same level honestly, mm-hmm. but I think that with good cop bad cop it's quick enough. Even though there's that player elimination, it ends pretty quickly. But I don't know what I was expecting. I, I think I, I might be a little bit more in line with the Game Boy Geek on this one that I was excited after uh, seeing the buzz about the game. I thought I would enjoy it a lot more. It's not a bad game by any stretch of the imagination. I guess I had just hyped it up a little bit more in my head. Mm-hmm. How, many, how many people does it play? You can go up to eight players. Up to eight? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested in it solely for the idea that it, it can handle a, a really high amount of people what's also interesting is that you in some of these social deduction games oftentimes you feel like you have to lie this one you can be completely honest and say i'm a crooked cop and then and they may not they may believe you they may not but it's all a process and revealing yourself as a crooked cop isn't necessarily a bad thing because you might have some allies but again because of the the random deal of the cards, you might end up being severely outnumbered, where you have five people that are honest cops and only two people that are crooked cops. So it can kind of be a little bit unbalanced that way, which that's part of the fun of just not knowing. But I really haven't had a game where it's felt like I had a shot at actually winning because I've always, there's always been a bit of an imbalance in terms of the number of players. But it's been fun. The other night when we played, we actually, one of the players played a card that made he could switch two cards from two different players. And so he had figured out that one person was the kingpin, and he knew that I was the agent. So he made it so that I got the agent and the kingpin at the same time. And we're like, fantastic, Tyler, you broke the game. But there is actually something on there that says that if anybody ever becomes the agent and the kingpin, they automatically will win the game by themselves. So... Tyler won the game for me and he didn't even realize it. So. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. That's cool. So, again, I want to play Good Cop, Bad Cop a little bit more. Try it out. See how it goes. I think if we can get people more involved in the role, like I'm, you know, playing up the role of or trying to deceive people, it could be a little bit more fun. Maybe that's what it needs to really bring it up a notch. I, don't I think know. that would spice it up, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's all about the expectation you set for the game. But, again, I think Good Cop, Bad Cop is a good little filler, quick game. It's... Again, I would say on the same line as Bang the Dice game. So another game that we played is Haggis. This is a kind of a traditional kind of trick-taking game. <laughs> and Jonathan's scowling. But you like you like Rook. Rook is a quite a bit more sim- quite a bit simpler than this one. <laughs> it's not that complicated. Essentially, you've got numbered cards, depending on the number of players. It, it only plays two to three players. So I don't get to bust it out very often, but I had it lying around. I'm like, well, let's try it out. Essentially, you've got either four or five different colors of cards. And the numbers go two to ten. Then each player also has three wild cards, a jack, a queen, and a king. So what you're trying to do is you're trying to make sets or runs. So sets would be a combination of all the same number. Runs would be like four, five, six, seven. Okay. And what you're trying to do is, the, for whoever leads off, they will say, I'm going to start off with a pair of threes. So the next player has to play another pair that's higher than the threes. So they could lead off and, and go off the pair of threes and play a pair of sixes. The thing is, is that you keep going until everyone either 
passes or it's no one's willing to can beat that particular combination that was played. The thing is, is that you only score points from cards that are three, fives, sevens, and nines. And you also score points from the wild cards. So it is pretty straightforward in that regard. What makes it tricky is that being able to lead whenever you win the trick, you get to start, you get to set what combination of cards you're going to want everyone else to play after you. So there are things called bombs, which are pretty much if you play a three, five, seven, nine of all different colors, or you play a three, five, seven, nine, all of the same color, those are bombs, but also playing two or three of your wild cards by themselves can also serve as bombs. What's tricky about the bombs is that you can play it and you can pretty much trump somebody so that you'll be able to lead off, but you don't get to keep the points for the trick that you bombed. You then have to decide who you're going to give those points to. In a two-player game, you know who they're going to go to. In a three-player game, you get to decide which player you want to give those points to. But regardless of who got the points, whoever bombed it gets the lead off. So it's a lot about trying to get points, but also jockeying to try to get to a point where you can be the person to lead off. Because you get to set the stage of... So if you had three sevens and three eights and they were and you had them in three different colors you could play them as one go and you can actually try to see if anybody else can beat that so the whole point is to try to get rid of all the cards in your hand first because you get five points for every card that's left in everyone else's hand and that hurts it hurts a, a lot so if you can rush and go out quickly you can actually score a ton of points. You may not get a lot of point cards from the one from the tricks you're taking, but if you can pretty much dump all your cards out really quickly without being stopped, you can really rack up a pretty devastating score. So it is a simple game, but it, it does have a little bit more of the brain burny. When do I use my wild cards to try to bomb to try to jockey for that lead player position? You didn't really care for it, Jonathan. I think you just called me simple. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. What was what was your thing with the game? I, I just didn't grasp it at, at the beginning. It's it was fine. It just. I think you need to play one round before you can really, uh, yeah, fully appreciate it. You usually play multiple rounds. You play to a score of two fifty or three fifty, depending on how long you're wanting it to go. So you do get to have that back and forth of the swing of the points and all that. So it it is a nice little fun game. I like it. If you like little trick taking games it's put out by indie boards and cards question for you though yes um have you ever played teach you no it's very similar to that i was going to say you were speaking and i you were using the same vocabulary as teach you so i would say that haggis is would be a great alternative if for two and three players because for teach you you need four yeah so yeah, it is. And it's got a nice little kind of... Sk- oh, there's also a haggis. So whenever you deal out your cards, whoever goes out first, not only to get points for the cards left over in other people's hands, you also get whatever cards were left over from the deal. And so there might be some point cards in there. There might not be. That way you can't count cards and realize, oh, well, I have you know, only one ten. The other person must have the other three. You just don't know. So I enjoy it. It's not you know a mind-blowing game, but for a simple little card game, it's a lot of fun. Perfect. Except if you're Jonathan. It's beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So our central topic for today is creating a themed board game night. This is something that we had an idea of really from the very beginning when we started Punished and Played. And so we were trying to think about what type of board game theme night would we want to put together. 
and what we decided to do would be to put together an archaeology-themed board game night. So we were wanting to kind of create that experience of digging for artifacts, exploring old civilizations, and just kind of, that was kind of our general guidelines for that. So what we thought we would do is we would put together some recommendations for how to put together what we think is a very strong archaeology-themed board game night. So we've broken this down into appetizers, main course, and desserts. So when we talk about appetizers, what type of games are we talking about here? Shorter games, but but not maybe not a filler game. Maybe something that is a, a lighter game, a, a little bit quicker game, but something that will get you into that mood, into that theme, uh, help you kind of experience that feeling of whatever topic you're talking about. Yeah, so I think the big thing here is that the appetizer will set the stage for what you're hoping the whole night will be like. So, the main course, what, how do we uh, conceptualize what a main course game would be? The main course, I think, is your biggest, is your is your meatiest game. It's usually the one that's going to take the longest. It's usually going to require the most brain power to, uh, to navigate. As again, I think it's perfect in the middle. You can get the group going. But also, it's not too late in the night where, you know, where brain power is kind of is lacking at the end of the night after you've played a few games. So it's kind of, I think it's kind of your jewel, your center stone. Fantastic. So finally, we're going to end with the dessert. So the way that we conceptualize a dessert is just kind of a lighter game that kind of helps to wrap up the night, especially after you've played the main course, which is, again, a little bit more strategic, perhaps, requires a little bit more brain power, like you said. So again, kind of a fun way to end to still capture the fun that you've had over the night. Okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to start with our appetizers. We've collectively decided what we think our ideal appetizer for the archaeology game night is. Then we'll move on to main courses and then desserts, and we also have some honorable mentions that each of us had. So while we picked one game for each of these categories as our ideal, we also have some alternatives. So if your game group might appreciate a different style of game, this might be some other worthy choices that you can consider. So we're going to start with an appetizer, and Clint, you get to lead us off. Yeah, we had the opportunity this week to play a game called Fluch der Mumi, which is uh, German uh, for you know flight of the mummy or just or kind of the running of the mummy or something like that. I'm not I, I'm not fluent in German, but um, in English it's called Pyramid, and it's actually a really cool game. The only thing that you have to do to get people to play this game is literally to set it up. And you set it up, there's like a magnetic board that you set like in a stand that's inside the the thing. And so there are two sides. What you do is you sit, you have four people go on the other, it plays up to four, it plays up to five people. Four people play the adventurers and one person plays the mummy. And this game is literally a kind of a game of hide and seek. Um, the adventurers are running around through the, this pyramid trying to gather all the mummy's artifacts or treasures. And then one person that's playing the mummy. The mummy can't see where the, art, where the other adventurers are or the archaeologists are, are going to grab things. He's just kind of blindly moving on the other board. Both sides of the board that stood up are the same. So the mummy's kind of moving. And uh, the cool thing about this board is that it's magnetic. So as the mummy moves, there's a piece on the other side for the adventurers that the adventurer knows exactly where the mummy is. 
and uh, but the mum I said the mummy doesn't see where the other adventurers are, and the mummy's moving around, and he's hoping that as he's moving around, as he's doing his little moves, that he hears this this click of the mummy uh, the mummy magnets activating to each other. Hate that sound. Yes, exactly. So this game is tons of fun. It's tense. It's fun. When the adventurers get on one of the artifacts, you have to claim five artifacts before they win the game. But when they claim an artifact, they have to flip over their card and show the mummy and say, I just picked this up, which is a dead giveaway to the mummy. I'm right here. And there's kind of a push-your-luck thing. The, the adventurers are rolling dice. It's a really fun game. It encompasses pretty much any adults can play it, and it can be fun. Kids can play it, and they'll have just as much fun. It's it's really a fun game. What did you guys think about it? I enjoyed it. The problem that I had was trying to get into the mummy's head. So, again, I was thinking, okay, Clint's the mummy. He's going to, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of what would be the most obvious move. Because he'll know that's the most obvious move. So he won't think I'm going to do the most obvious move. But no, Clint just went with the obvious move and captured just left and right. So, Yeah, our Spectre Ops training failed us in this game <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> really badly. But we haven't got to play Spectre Ops with you yet. No, so that's right. I, I got a, what is it, a, a four or five hour game? No. No. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> I'm just teasing. I'm just pulling you out of the shade. The way the mummy wins is that he kept he captures the adventurers a certain amount of times and in our game i was able to capture the the adventurers and the mummy won uh, or defended his homeland yes but uh no i think it's a great way to start the night off it was a lot of fun it's got a lot of character to it now that i've played my first game of it i know a lot more of what to do differently mm-hmm. but i think again what how long have the games taken you to play uh usually 45 minutes top yeah, so I think it's a great, fun, very unique game to start the night off with. The, the only problem is that it's kind of hard to find. It is, and you may find that there, that might be a theme. I believe you can still get it. Uh, mine is the the German version. I, I saw it, fell in love with it. I love the archaeology theme, and I just like I had to have this game. So I actually, I believe I got it from uh, Fun Again Games, actually had it, had it in. So I, uh, I bought it from them. Yeah, I've been able to find quite a few um, harder-to-find games through them. So, But since that game is tough to, to to secure, we also have some alternatives to think about. So another great game that I think is a really fun way to start off that night. It might be a little bit more on the stressful side, but it only lasts 10 minutes. And that is Escape the Cursed Temple. It's a real-time game. So pretty much you are rolling dice frantically over a time limit of 10 minutes. So there's a soundtrack that you can, it comes with a CD, but actually you can get the, you can go pull up on your smartphone or whatever and they have some different tracks you can play off their website. And at last 10 minutes you are rolling dice, trying to flip over new tiles. What you're trying to do is you have already raided this temple and you've stolen all these gems but now that you've stolen them it has a horrible curse. So what you have to do is run around the temple and try to put the gems back. So it's almost like reverse archaeology or <laughs> learning from your mistakes archaeology because yeah. you've already done the damage. Now you're trying to put everything back so you can actually escape from the temple. So you're rolling dice frantically. There are black mask 
a result which lock your dice in place and you have to roll gold mass to be able to unlock them. And so you're running around the board and you have to you get locked out and like I need help. Someone give me a gold mask and it's 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 a lot of fun. It's very frantic. But you're trying to move around. There's a couple of rooms where you have to work as a team because you have to roll for example 10 keys to be able to put three gems. If you only roll, you know, a lesser number, you can only put one or two. So you really have to coordinate, talk to each other. The interesting thing is is that there's actually curses that you can actually play with as well. I have yet to play with the curses because our batting average on this game has not been that great. <laughs> now, we haven't played it that consistently but I because we've been introducing it to new people quite a bit. But I think playing it without the curses is a good first move. But there, once you start playing the, with the curse tiles, you can actually get... Uh, when you flip over a tile that has a curse, you might draw a tie, uh, curse token that makes it so you have to put one of your hands behind your back. Or you can no longer talk during the game. So you can't communicate what you need. So there's a lot of really great replayability with this because the setup of what tiles get flipped over as you're exploring is random each time. And also to be able to get out of the temple... The more gems you get rid of, the easier it's going to be able you're going to be able to get out of the temple. If you were able to get rid of all but five gems, it's always going to be however many gems left over plus one. And then once you find the exit, so you, you don't even know where the exit is, you have to keep exploring uh, to find the exit. You have to roll that number keys to be able to get out of the temple. So the more gems you're able to put back, the easier you're able to escape. So very frantic, only last ten minutes, but it's a lot of fun. It's a really good one. I own it, and I, I, I love it. It's, a, it's one of my faves. What are your thoughts? It's grown on me. <laughs> I, I didn't really care for it the first time I played it, but we've played it four or five times at least since then, and it has grown on me every time, so I like it. <laughs> I think we're getting to a point where we're able to win without the curses, so I'm, I'm, I would like to try it with the curses at some point. Have you played it with the curses? I have not. See, that's the problem. I tend to add a, a gem or two. I think that the game is easier with six players. The more players there are, the easier the game gets. I find that what we do is if we've played it for a couple times, I'll actually I'll actually sneak in a, a one or two extra gems. Do you uh, have an expansion that adds six player? Because it only goes up to five. I do have an expansion. I got did the Kickstarter. Oh, we did the full Kickstarter. Okay. Yeah, the full Kickstarter that did. That. Okay, the base game only comes with five players. So just keep that in mind. But I think there's a there's plenty of game in that base set by itself. But if you want to add some more variety into it, those expansions can definitely add a lot too. So again, very quick, 10 minutes. You can even get in two games of this if you're... Because if you fail the first time, you can jump right back in and try something different. And I usually find that this is one of those games that is a, hey, can we play this again? Yeah. You know, The only downside is it might be a little bit too much stress for some people and then you're going to be kind of burned out and not want to play the main course afterwards but I think it, if you do it in moderation I think it can be a good introduction to the archaeology game night Jonathan what's one of your recommendations as an alternative for an appetizer I thought of the game Forbidden Desert which is a game that my son got um, for his birthday he got to play it with Sean and then he was just dying to get it for himself so it's a great deal it's a good price you get the, the little tin you get these tiles and you mix them all up you flip them over the the theme behind it is that you have crashed uh, on an archaeology expedition you've got to recover parts for this airship that will get you out of the desert the way you, you travel around you unearth you actually have to dig through some some sand that piles on top of the different tiles and you have to flip the tiles over as you explore them 
and then you you look for um, certain tiles that will give you a piece and it will give you an arrow either up or down or left or right and then you've got to find another one of those same tiles so the, together those pinpoint the coordinates of where that uh, piece can be found and you've got to find the pieces and then get back to the ship and, and fly out of there um, as you're doing this you're, you're drawing from a deck you know this is a little brother to a uh, pandemic so you're drawing from a deck and the more and more sand comes out the pieces actually move they shift um, which is kind of a neat feature they can shift up and down and left and right to represent the storm as it's as it's coming by and uh, more and more sand gets piled up and it becomes impassable as you get uh, you're kind of a race to keep keep pathways clear and find what you need you can also run out of water because sun comes out cards will come up they'll make everybody who is not in a tunnel tile to uh, have to drink some water and then there's also some equipment cards that you can find they'll give you little benefits and stuff it's it's a nifty you have your your roles like you do in pandemic we found my son loves to be the water carrier because you have more water and then you know he's really he just loves going around and getting the water and keeping us in business yeah what's actually kind of interesting as well is that there's there are three tiles that have an oasis on it however one of them is a mirage so you're like okay let's go here and get some water and you flip it over and oh it's dry and you have to, and in order to flip one of you flip over one of those oasis tiles you can only take water if you're on that tile so you have to coordinate your efforts make sure you congregate on that tile flip it over and hope there's water there so water is usually the way that i die more often than not but i i really enjoy i really enjoy this one quite a bit yeah i think there's one game we played where we actually ran out of sand tiles to place on but that was just one time usually yeah we die from dehydration and production values on this are just fantastic it's another great one from game right yep. yeah so we're going to move on to the main course of our archaeology game night and we actually just played this game right before the podcast jonathan and i this was the very first time but we were wowed by it and we're kind of sad that we can't get it but jonathan you're going to talk about our top pick for the main course. Yes, uh, our main course was Thebes, and uh, this is one that I'd been dying to play. Uh, Clint told me about it a long time ago, and he's had it actually in his bag a couple of times when he's come to game nights at my house, and we just never kind of gotten around to it. But it's a great little game. You're going out, you're exploring, you start off in Warsaw, and you. the neat thing about this game is you are spending time. The track around the outside of the board is, is your 52 weeks. You spend your time. You decide, you know, am I going to go here and do some research? Uh, you've got your travel time, which is your movement on the board. You ha- There's some cards that are on the display that you can pick up, and then each of them has a week cost to them. And you've got to kind of decide, you know, where, where am I going to invest myself? And you're trying to build up these books of knowledge in different colors, and the different colors correspond to different sites that you can explore, like Greece or Crete or uh, Egypt or Palestine and so on. And... Um, there's some other special cards that you can get, like shovels and um, what, what's the guys, Clint? Researchers. Researchers that you had. And these uh, reward you if you get two or three of them, and they'll give you different things. Like they'll give you extra extra knowledge for when you research or extra digs. The digs are the neat part of this game. Each of these different locations are color-coded. They have their own bag. They have their own uh, little chits that you pull out of them. And so you decide when you're going to go on your your expedition, you look at how many books you have of that color that represents your research you've spent into that. And then you there's a little 
dial that you spin around and it shows however much research you have and then it'll show you how many you're going to pull out based upon the number of weeks anywhere from one to twelve weeks of actual digging once you decide how many weeks you're going to do that um, you dig into the bag blindly and you pull out and you may pull out something worth a one victory point you may find some sort of an artifact worth three five seven in one case and then you may just pull out some dirt that's worth nothing. There's also some uh, extra research and other little special chits in there too. But basically, you decide you know, how you're going to research, you decide where you're going to do your digging, and then you, you know, there's a lot of luck involved with this game. You have to understand that first, but you kind of mitigate that based upon your research and um, based upon what's been pulled out of the bag. The neat thing is each of the locations has a little card that shows you the distribution of points you know, some of them are, you know, heavily weighed towards the bottom where there's a lot of lower value tokens in there. And some of them have, you know, a lot of lower ones. And then they're, you know, some of them are kind of more mixed in the middle where you can get lots of fours and fives and threes. And some of them you can get a couple ones and then maybe a five, six, seven or something like that. So there's some neat distributions. You can only excavate in a particular site once per year. You have to keep track of that too. And it's just, it's a really nifty, nifty game. It's a really, a game that's got a nice production value. It was a lot of fun. I had a blast playing it. Yeah. I, again, this I feel like is the archaeology game for me. Because you really do feel like you're digging in, in the dirt trying to find those treasures and you might walk away with oh i found a couple of things that's not bad but you pull that that seven out of there and you just feel like you're on top of the world tell yeah. us about an empty bag yeah <laughs> so that's that's, that's, that's where bag, i got yeah. uh yeah my nickname was going to be either empty bag or sticky fingers was <laughs> clint's recommendation so so yeah i was able to go and i was really struggling to get to diversify and get enough of the different colored books of research to be able to go to the different locations so i was able to stock up on green and purple and so i was able to go and fairly early on get draw quite a few tokens out of the purple location and I think I drew from that location three times, and I almost emptied the whole bag of treasures. I think there were only two point tokens left in that whole bag, so I got really, really lucky. I've played the game. I probably played the game be eight or ten times, and I have never seen that. I was, I was laughing. I was laughing <laughs> at it because I mean, uh, I mean, it was Sean went for went for broke and just got some really great pull. We all had a really great pull. The one thing that I would say is that the first thing you have to say if you get this game. The first thing you do is you you look them in the eye and make sure you have eye contact with everybody. We're having fun. This game has a lot of luck in it. You know, we can mitigate some of that luck, but you could just pull 10, 10 pieces out of the bag and they could all be dirt, you know. But I think if you can get people in that, the game is so fun. And, it is. That's a thing. And uh, we had a really great time. I mean, throughout the entire game, we had a great time. I think it does have that whole the aspect of developing your strategy but also, you know, I think the luck makes that game. It wouldn't be nearly as exciting if you knew, okay, I'm going to reach in this bag. I know I'm going to get something. Yeah. It just creates that excitement because if you're an archaeologist, you're not always going to find the nice hot treasure. So, But, yeah, this one's a lot of fun. And it makes pulling that, like I said, pay, makes pulling that like super high piece. You're just like, yes, you know. You were, you were doing a lot of excited pumps whenever you were drawing out of the bag. I, I was. It was. It was just. It's a fun game, and if you can just let yourself just kind of go with it, it you're right. The, this game matches the theme. Just perfect. However, it appears that Thebes is out of print. Mm-hmm. 
which is another problem. So while it is a great game, I want to track this one down. I hope I hope that Queen is able to put out a reprint of this because I don't know. I I, I imagine this would definitely be on the top of many people's lists in terms of archaeology games. And I, I feel like this is a game. It's already had multiple reprints. I, I, it's I, I think it's an it's an evergreen game. It'll come back. I like it a lot. So whenever I can find a copy at a reasonable price, I think I might pick this one up because I think it could be one that I could pull out time and time again. I'm just worried that I'm going to get into an eBay bidding battle with you over this game. <laughs> just look for the uh, username Empty Bag. Yeah. <laughs> Sticky Fingers Rose. <laughs> All right. But because Thieves is out of print at the current moment, we wanted to give some alternatives for this as well. So... One of them, Clint, you were going to talk about. Yeah, another one that, uh, this one is probably on the lighter end of the main course. It's about a 45 to 60 minute game. Is a game called Pergamon. And uh, Pergamon was actually an ancient city. And this game was developed by Stefan Dora and Ralph Zerlind, I think. I'm going to try to say that. That's close, huh? That's pretty good. <laughs> close enough. Um, Stefan Dora, most of you guys uh, know Stefan Dora from For Sale. And he also did a game called Milestones. The one thing I love about Stefan Dora is that his games are not always like he can always find one thing that is just like, ooh, this is cool. And he always just finds that there's a one one mechanism that's just like, ah, I love it. And Pergamon has has just that. Pergamon's a game. All of us are archaeologists, and we've got to this dig, and we're trying to find these artifacts. And, but the interesting thing is all these artifacts are broken. So we, as we dig up these artifacts, part of the artifact has two halves of a certain thing, like a mask or a pot. As you're digging them out, you're trying to match these pieces together to complete a piece, a major, like a whole thing. And it is really fun. But the whole crux of the game is this idea of you're looking as researchers, you're looking for funding. And so at the start of every round, each person is bidding, is putting their their researcher on what they're going to do. And, of course, you want to be the first ones to dig in a a spot because maybe you see something that you just got to have. It's going to complete your set, and it's going to be amazing. But you have to go early, and the earlier person, the earlier people to dig – maybe can't go dig deep enough to get to that one spot there there are five levels and and you know you can get some really high pointers down at the bottom you know so you have to you have to kind of balance either do i want to dig deep or do i do i want to go first or there's also this funding to dig you got to have money and so the cool thing is is that the money is random so we don't know exactly how much money there is you can't kind of ballpark it and the first people get the money but if you're the last person and there's leftover money, you get it all. And so there's a really cool, mm, like, cool. gamble there. And, you know, do I want to go first and just guarantee get this thing? Or do I want to hang back a little bit, see if I can get some funding? Oh, wow. It's so fun. I, I, I highly recommend it. It's one of those things. It's, it's kind of a sweet spot. It's 45 minutes to 60 minutes. Uh, most of my games have always gone 60. Oh, the, the whole goal of the game is that you're creating these things and then you're putting these things on you're putting a show on and the cool thing is is that you get a show and those things score you victory points which win you the game but also as other people put on other shows they push your show out of the museum that it's kind of cool kind of gives you that feeling of 
after a couple years, oh, you're kind of things old hat, you know, oh, oh I've already seen this. So you got to keep digging and you're tr- going to try to get, do you do a bunch of small shows and just kind of hang on there as people kind of push them out? Or do you just throw this big show that oh, well, will stay forever? Really a fun game. It's kind of the sweet spot of, of time, but it really gives you that archaeology feel. Something really cool. Wow, that, that sounds like it would be a good one to try out. So, so you said how long was it again? About forty-five minutes to an hour. Okay. I'd say I would say it's mostly an hour if you're playing with four players. So my game is also kind of falling within that general same time frame. This one's about forty to eighty minutes. It is Relic Runners by Days of Wonder, and again, some people are very d- divided on this particular game, but I do think it kind of does give a nice feel of the archaeology because you are kind of these archaeologists, explorers, going through and exploring these different ruins. So you ha- what you have to do is you have to move across the board and you have to lay paths to try to... You can move quicker around the board by laying down your particular path. And you will go and you'll be able to explore these different temples, different towers. Like There's like the ivory towers, which gets you bonus powers, maybe maybe an immediate effect, or maybe it gives you a bonus at the end of the game. You've got your purple towers, and you've also got the blue towers, which gets you bonus points. And then there's also these ruins that you explore, and as if you and whenever you empty and you explore all of the, the entire tower or all of the ruins, a relic will show up in that location. But that relic isn't for you to pick up. It's This is kind of the weird aspect of the game. Instead of that relic representing this is the relic you're looking for, I kind of explain it as this is giving you directions on where you can find the real relic. Because what you have to do is you can't pick up a relic until another one pops up on the board. And so you have to start in a location with a relic to move to another relic to pick it up. So that's the one part that people struggle with in this game is that rule about how you can pick up a relic. But that's how I explain it. You find the first relic, that's giving you directions on how to find the real relic. So you move around, you try to get points. It's not the most in-depth game, but I think it's 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 a, it's a pretty decent game. My top choice would absolutely be Thieves, but I think if you're looking for a little bit of a lighter game, it's not super-duper in-depth. I'd say probably, would you say about medium weight? Definitely medium. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think that Relic Runners is a, a good alternative if you're looking for a game that fits within kind of this main course area so to end things off we're wanting to wrap things up for the night we're going to have a dessert game so what is going to be our top choice for a dessert game well on the menu tonight we've got a tasty serving of archaeology the card game and this is a fun little game Um, number one it's fairly quick but uh, it's just a deck of cards, and as you, you play this game, you start off with a starting hand, and then you also have cards in the center on the market. Each of your card has some kind of a value attached to it, maybe one, two, three, four, and so on. And you are trying to complete sets of things, and then you'll turn them in You know, based upon the number. Every, every certain item, maybe a cup or coin or whatever it may be, will be worth certain points based upon how many you turn in. Each of them has, you know, there's different rarities to these cards, and there's um, different values you can get out of them. So you kind of have to judge, you know, when you've got gotten the most that you can get out of it. Uh, you can only turn in one set of each of these different types of items, one set of cups or one set of coins or whatever. You you go ahead and you try to, re, you, you return cards from your hand, points value equal to however many points value you're going to try to take out of the market. And that's how you change things around. 
So you start each round drawing a card. Um, the things that throw a wrench into it is there will be some sandstorms that will pop up. They will make you lose half of your cards, kind of like the robber in Catan or something like I that. I hate sandstorms. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sandstorms are bad. There's also a thief card that will pop up that will let you take a card from a random card from somebody else. So you kind of got to pay attention to what everybody else has been collecting and, and see if they might have something that you want. But there's also an opportunity to collect maps and if you get a certain number of maps you're able to go into the pyramids and there's three different um, vaults that you could explore with different amounts of cards and those can be a, a payout for you too another way to get some victory points so it's it's fast you don't burn your brain playing this you just kind of try to make the best out of what you can get there's a, there's some luck involved obviously with the draw but you kind of look and see what other players are going for and then try to do the best that you can, come up with the best sets, and get the most points. Fun little, fast little game. Yeah, I enjoyed this one quite a bit. Whenever I got to play it, I was like, yeah, this is this is one of my top picks for an archaeology-themed game. Because I really feel like you are kind of going through there trying to find the artifacts. It, it is a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. I, I love this one. It's been, it's been an old thing. I used to give this as, as presents to friends. Because it is, it's, very, it's very interesting. I've played it probably 20 times. Still enjoy playing this one. It's got enough luck. It's just really enjoyable. So it it really is. I, I strongly encourage when you get this game. It it scratches the itch for the gamer, but also it's very it's accessible for those who don't play a lot. So the good news about this one is it appears that Archaeology the card game is in stock. <laughs> Z Man Games puts out this this card game. So. At least you can find a dessert, our top choice for the dessert currently. Yeah. But we also have some alternative recommendations as well. So what was your going to be? What was your recommendation? My recommendation is one another one that is just a must-have for me, and that is Ink and Gold. Ink and Gold is just amazing. To give you an idea, the two designers are Alan Moon and Bruno Faduti. Wow. Oh, okay. So I mean, just super high pedigree. And this is a game that the premise is simple. But the game is bliss, and it is basically each one of you are archaeologists digging into this in the in an Incan temple, and you're trying to find these jewels, these gems. And as you're digging and as you're trying to go, you have this, you have two cards. You're holding a card that shows a guy that has a torch burning bright, and he's going deeper into the temple. And you have another card that is the torch just is really dim this guy has a bag full of treasure and he's walking out to his tent and each one of you guys get this little mini tent and it's really cool and the whole game is at the start of every round you flip over a card and this card usually like i said it has it has gems on it or it has a trap or something bad now the bad thing about the trap is that they can be like spiders fire rock slides or snakes can be anything but it, the first time you run into a trap, that's okay. It's just a little warning. It's a little warning. If another fire or another of uh, the same trap comes up, that trap triggers and everybody that's still left in the temple is wiped out. So it is this really cool push your luck of like every round. This can go up to eight players and it is it is fun with with all different types of players but after every round a player picks one of their two cards and puts it in the middle and on the count of three flips it if you chicken out and we 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 say you chicken out if you chicken out you take all the treasure that you've earned that round and you go and you can stick it under your tent but if you stay you can keep going deeper and getting more treasure 
And the cool thing is, is that when you flip over a treasure, you divide it evenly against everybody, and the leftovers are left on the card. So if you leave, you get to go, and you get to take all the leftovers. So there can start being this thing of, you like, after a sudden, like, when they're starting to get some gems building up in the leftovers kind of pile, everybody starts looking at each other. It's like, if I leave now, I'm going to get a sweet, I'm going to get some sweet loot, but if two or three of us leave, we're going to get hosed. Yeah. You know, and it is so much fun. It is, it is elegant. You don't use that word very often, but this game is elegant. If it's eight perfectly, yeah, there's another little thing. They actually added this thing that is like a treasure that you can flip up and it's worth like 10 gold. It's worth 10 points. It's like a huge point, but it cannot be split. So you have to leave by yourself <laughs> to get it and so and the it's just the, the you just laugh out loud when two people like think they're being crafty and both try to leave and they have to like leave the treasure behind it is it's played over five rounds it's a half an hour but this is the game that i can get out anytime this is the game that like the cards are i have put sleeves on them and the cards are beaten up we've played this game so many times it is amazing sounds great so my recommendation is a bit different. This is going to capture more of the Indiana Jones-esque aspect of quote-unquote archaeology. My game is actually kind of a set of games. I think either one of them would be perfectly fine to kind of round out the evening. And that are the games from the, uh, the Adventurers series. So initially put out by AEG, but then Fantasy Flight got the license for it and they put out a sequel to it but the first one is the adventurers the temple of chalk and that one you are pretty much in a temple and you start out in a room in which the walls are starting to close in on you and you're in this room and you're trying to memorize these different runes and this is information you're going to need for a later part in the temple okay so you can spend time in investigating these these runes to try to help yourself to navigate through another part of the temple later on, but you have a time limit because those walls are slowly closing in on you. And there's like these nice big plastic walls that are kind of moving closer and closer to you. Once you get out of the enclosing room, you then see that there's a giant boulder that's rolling towards you. And so you're having to outrun this boulder trying to stop and pick up treasure. Then you'll hit a lava pit where those runes that if you decide that you want to investigate them, they can help you to figure out which of those tiles as you're navigating the lava pit, are they safe to step on or will you fall in and actually fall in the lava? So it's just this back and forth and there's a river where there's this bridge where are you going to uh, push your luck and see if you can get across the bridge or are you going to fall in? And it's just kind of this great kind of push your luck sort of element. The more treasures you pick up, the heavier your load is, and the slower you move. So it is kind of this back and forth of getting the treasures that you want, but also not, try not to set yourself up to get squished by a boulder, melted by lava, or drowning in the river. So so this one does feature player elimination? That, that one does. I think uh, initially, I think the first time you um, don't lose immediately, but I think the second time you actually get knocked out completely but really i mean dying can be a pretty big blow but i've seen it where people can actually come back from from uh dying but there all are other situations where you can actually if you're too slow you can get sealed in by the boulder that the boulder gets ahead of you you can get and it starts going to this narrow path where you can't get around the boulder and you're trapped in the temple so you have to get out or you get nothing 
So whoever gets out of the temple with the most treasure wins. Very light, but it definitely is much more of an Ameritrash sort of feel to it. Yeah. Okay, lots of die rolling. It's, it's just a good time. The other one is the Pyramid of Horus, and that one's a bit different. You're going into the into a pyramid, and there are mummies that are guarding these different treasures, So, and they will move each round. So you have to make sure you're positioning yourself so you're not going to get run into the mummies and lose treasure and all that. But there's also a point where the pyramid's going to start collapsing on you, and the, the big old cinder block of pyramid will fall down and land on a tile, so you can actually get hit by and take damage from the tiles and you can actually again get sealed in to the pyramid if you're not able to get out so it's again pushing your luck of going for those treasures but not waiting so long that you can't actually get out in time so definitely captures that indiana jones feel but i think that's a nice fun way to end the archaeology board game night yeah that was really fun i'm excited i kind of want to go play some more archaeology games (laughs) but we also had some honorable mentions things that may not quite work for everyone but things that we think would definitely be a fitting inclusion for a board game night if you found a way to incorporate them so jonathan what was one of the other games that you would want to give an honorable mention i was just going to throw out forbidden island obviously it's a little bit simpler than forbidden desert but it's still challenging i hadn't played this in a long time it's one of the first games i got and i played it with my son and and some of the kids the other day and um we played it three times and on the on the easiest setting, and we still lost the first two times. We had to play it a third time to win. I was determined we were going to come back and win that thing. But you go explore tiles, uh, the island's sinking all around you. It's kind of a similar feel to Forbidden Desert, but I think it is a different enough game. It's also very easy to introduce to newer, newer players, um, those who are not as into games, and maybe younger people. Great. What was one of your... Honorable mentions. Yeah, Lost Cities. We can't always get a group of five or six people, you know, four or five or six people together. Sometimes it's just you and you and your significant other, you and just another friend, or maybe some somebody, you, you have two people that came in late or whatever. Uh, Lost Cities is perfect for that. It's two two-player game only. It's a fantastic game. You're just trying to, you have these big old cards, these big old chunky cards. You're trying to create sets of these different cards that signify you getting deeper and deeper into these dig sites. And once you start a dig, you need to to get some significant numbers to actually pay off for the dig. You can actually get minus points if you don't. But there's a, and to draw a card, you have to discard a card. So you're afraid you're going to give something a good something to another player. It's a really fun little push pull game. It's a Reiner Canizia one, and it just barely got rep- uh, re- reprinted. Uh, reprinted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, highly recommended. Great two player game. Well, I know you have to get a certain number of points to just to break even. Yeah. So if you you have to actually get push above beyond that, and there's also these handshake cards, these kind of agreement cards where you can actually double or triple your score yes. if you play those to begin with. Mm-hmm. And But, again, if you don't meet it, you uh, are taking double or triple or quadruple your negative points. Yeah. So, big risk. And this is one you can try out online, uh, Happy Meeple, and you can find that through Facebook or, or maybe just their website. I've tried it and played it quite a few times just online. But that it's a, it's a staple for us. It's, I'm rather happy that they put that out as a reprint. So, yeah. my last honorable mention is a big game. And I mean big game, it's it's in a huge, huge box. Going off of the Indiana Jones feel, my game is Fortune and Glory. 
it's it's massive. It's the cliffhanger game. So essentially, you are playing an like rogue adventurers going around, and you get to fight mobsters or Nazis, and you're going around trying to raid temples and find treasures, and you can either play this competitively or cooperatively. So you're trying to actually outmaneuver the game itself if you're playing against the Nazis or mobsters, or you're trying to compete against each other to beat each other to a certain number of points. Okay, mm-hmm. So I th- what you're doing is you're trying to go around and you're trying to get uh, glory. So you actually get glory, and that will actually wow people to help you out so you can actually go and turn in like your glory points to get new items or to get allies to help you out so what you're really trying to do is to try to get fortune and be the person who has the most fortune at the end of the game and that that's the person who wins if you're playing a competitive game it's a very atmospheric sort of game it's definitely an ameritrash game lots and lots of luck but what's the interesting aspect of this game is that it has that push your luck element so you're going into a temple and you have to overcome a certain number of challenges within here so if you successfully pass a certain test you then have to decide am i going to camp down and keep all the the glory that you've attained at this point or do you push your luck and see and risk everything to try to beat everyone else to the punch Okay. If you fail your test, it triggers a cliffhanger. So you flip over your card and it's a cliffhanger and you won't be able to you won't get to resolve it until your next turn. So you don't know. It's like kind of this whole thing next time on Fortune and Glory. It kind of has that feel you get a wait. It's kind of unbearable sometimes because you want to figure out find out what actually happens, you know. But it is it is kind of a very interesting thematic sort of game. Not super in-depth in terms of the strategy necessarily, but if you're looking for a great atmospheric game that has you traveling around the world, raiding different temples, fighting mobsters and zombies, and not zombies. There, I, think there, I think there actually are zombies in the There actually are some in the game. Nazi zombies? Uh, maybe. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a very interesting game. It's a little bit on the long side, I feel. It comes with its own soundtrack, but I don't recommend using it. It gets pretty awful. But again, if you're looking for a big atmospheric game and uh, everyone's on board for that, I think that could definitely be a main course if you're looking for something much more thematic. All right. And then we just wanted to end things off with a recommendation for an upcoming game. We talked about some of Ryan Lockett's games a few podcasts ago, and he has a, a game that was on Kickstarter last year. It's called... Artifacts Inc. Mm-hmm. It's, it looks to me just like a really basic, just kind of a simple card game, but you, you got some dice in there that uh, that add some things. It's kind of an efficiency engine. It looks pretty interesting. I think this is a pickup for me. I didn't back it on Kickstarter, but I think when it goes in main distribution, I think I might snag it because I, I love the theme. Yeah, so I I'm, I think it has a lot of promise. Maybe it could be a nice inclusion in the future for an archaeology-themed board game night. So I hope that you guys have found the, these recommendations helpful. Again, we've played the games. We found them quite enjoyable. So again, if you decide to put together a board game night focused on archaeology, let us know how it works out for you. We'd love to hear kind of what your experiences were and see what you, what you thought. So to round things off for the night, we're just going to briefly talk about the end of our first month of the board game book club where we played Pandemic over the month of May. So some of the highlights, I mean, we started off playing on Normal, difficulty we ramped it up to heroic struggled at first able to succeed and we and we played on legendary 
Ah, oh, legendary. Yeah, legendary. Oh, that requires an expansion, the On the Brink expansion. It incorporates a seventh epidemic card. Oh my gosh. Uh, we didn't die as quickly on legendary as we did on our first heroic game. True. But I think the problem is when we played on legendary, we played with five people. I find that if you're going to play on legendary, you have to be super efficient. So I think having a lower player count might actually make Legendary a little bit more manageable. Yeah. So That's the kick-you-in-the-teeth kick edition. Yeah. I have to say, I was always really scared to play on Heroic. But playing on, on the Heroic level where you're playing with six Epidemic cards really renewed this game for me. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I think I find a lot of people are just don't want to take the greater challenge. But it's just, it's hard. And you don't know if we're going to win. And I love that element. I think it's definitely, a. I think that's kind of a sweet spot for me. I think Legendary is just insanely brutal, and I think I'd probably just trust myself out too much. But Heroic, I feel like I have a shot, but I know I'm going to have to work really well with my teammates to be able to pull it off. But I think it has a, it's a little bit more forgiving, potentially, than what Legendary does. But again, I, lo- I really love Pandemic on Heroic difficulty, so... I don't know what your thoughts were having played this game for a full month. What were your overall thoughts? I really enjoyed it. I think that this was just a fantastic idea. It, it kind of helped me fall back in love with Pandemic. It's one of those games that I always like to play, but it's one that I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to try another game now. Kind of coming back to it or a reason to come back to it was a nice breath of fresh air. And like I said, I, I won't get rid of it. It's just it's a great game. And it was a great excuse to kind of go back to a great game. Yeah. And I think this is one of those things where, you know, you guys being more experienced gamers, you've played it, you kind of got a little bit tired of it. But it's it's a it's a great opportunity for newer players to get to play it. And I really enjoyed it because I had actually only played Pandemic once before this. Quite a bit of experience for Forbidden Island and Forbidden Desert. But it gave me a chance to play it with you guys and, and enjoyed it. I really, I had a blast playing it. I really enjoyed it a lot. The heroic games uh, were a lot of fun. I mean, just getting absolutely crushed, but then coming back to the second game and being able to, to figure it out and solve it. And it wasn't a definitive victory. We were, we were hanging on the edge. Yep. We and that's what made it life. so exciting. Yep. And so I think that's what pandemic really excels at is that it's just that tension of you know at any moment things can spiral out of control if you're not careful because one thing i noticed is that whenever we there's tends to be this tendency of trying to rush to try to get those cures as quickly as possible but by doing that you kind of ignore the cubes accumulating on those locations and if you aren't careful that will come back to bite you doesn't matter if you get those cures if you start getting outbreaks, it's game over. Because, again, you've played it the most, Clint. Mm-hmm. Uh, have there been any good lessons learned by diving into this for a full month? I The only thing that really kind of renewed, and I remember this, was is that I tended not to die from the outbreaks. I was a manager first, and I tended to run out of cards. That and is very true. I like how it kind of puts you, and you really have to balance mm-hmm. both of those. Because, like I said, either side, either you're going to die from outbreaks or you're going to die from running out of cards. Right. I felt like on the harder difficulties, 
because you're having so many of those outbreaks potentially going to trigger because the cubes are coming out. There's, I mean, you can have those epidemics pop up so much quicker. And again, whenever you have an epidemic, you draw the bottom card, you put three cubes on that, and that card goes right back into the discard pile. You shuffle that discard pile, you put it right back on, and you could draw that card again and trigger an outbreak. So I feel like on the on the harder difficulty levels, we were just struggling to even get by that time. We had time. We just we're fighting that but on normal i definitely would agree with you that i feel like the deck is your worst enemy on normal because you feel like you have a little bit more time you have a little bit more breathing room mm-hmm. and so time can slip away from it if you're not using your deck efficiently yeah so a uh, really big fan of pandemic I'm really glad we got to do this yeah so next we're going to be playing castles of burgundy and so Jonathan, you've played it a little bit recently. Clint, you've played it a bit. Yep. I've played it a little bit. But we're going to dive a little bit deeper into this. And as we promised, we are going to give away June's board game of the month, Castles of Burgundy, to one of the participants in May's board game book club. So our winner of Castles of Burgundy is Dave Reset. And I hope I pronounced that right for you, Dave. But we'll be in contact with you and let you and try to get some information on how you can we can ship you your very own copy of Castles of Burgundy. And if you already own Castles of Burgundy, well, I'm sorry. Congratulations. <laughs> so for next month, we're going to be playing Castles of Burgundy. We're going to dive into that and try to explore it a little bit more and develop some more strategies. So as always, you can we encourage you to go on to punchandplay.com. You can keep an eye out for June's board game book club post. You can share your experiences as you play Castles of Burgundy with us through the month by posting in the comment section on that page. And again, uh, we certainly hope to hear from you. We really want to hear from other people and get some differing perspectives. So I think we have rambled on enough for tonight. But again, I'm, I'm hoping that we can, uh, we got to do a little bit of an archaeology game night at our last game night, kind of testing things out. But I would really love to be able to keep doing this idea of theme board game night so we're probably going to revisit this in the future if you guys like it and we get some good feedback we'll probably try to do some more of these themed board game nights in the future so until next time you can always look us up on facebook you can follow us on twitter you can always visit us at punchdumplay.com and remember if you're going to punch them make sure you play them (laughs) 